Once more, let us come before God in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we gather around your word this day, speak to us and to our hearts in a new way that we might come to see your world through new eyes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading for this morning is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 1 to 8 and 18 to 24. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in their yield. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath, you, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who live with you, for your livestock also, and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives forty-nine years. You shall observe my statutes and faithfully keep my ordinances so that you may live on the land securely. The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live on it securely. Should you ask, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will order my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will yield the crop for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating from the old crop until the ninth year, when its produce comes in, and you shall eat, you shall eat the old. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. With me you are but aliens and tenants. Throughout the land that you hold, you shall provide for the redemption of the land. Our response to Psalm is Psalm number 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and the night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from its wedding cabinet, 
and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our epistle reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 19 to 25. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In our gospel reading for this morning is from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He comes down our street seemingly every single morning, a white cargo van. It pulls up outside of a home and the driver throws open the door and jumps out. The sound of his music serenades the entire neighborhood. Well, it's not quite a serenade, but it's a little more thumpy than that. And the driver then runs to the door and then runs back to the van, jumps in and drives off. Some days, he stops at the other end of the block. Others days, you can hear the music from just around the corner. I'm sure you've got one of those on your street, too. I think we actually have two. Delivery vans, right? Dropping off your latest Amazon purchase or whatever, some other package from some other vendor online. And that doesn't count all of the courier companies whose vans crisscross every town and every city in the world. Earlier in the pandemic, earlier, When I was working from the house, there were days, you know, that I would watch the guy in the white van come down the street. And he'd stop at one home, deliver his package, jump in the van, drive a hundred feet, get out again, deliver another package, get in the van, drive a hundred feet, get out of the van, deliver another package. And on and on it went down the street. It was no exaggeration. During the lockdowns, when we couldn't get out to the stores, the parcel system seemed like a godsend, didn't it? It allowed us to purchase those things that we really needed. But it has also come at a curse. Think about the logistics that lie behind each one of those white bands. It used to be, you know, not that long ago, less than 10 years ago, that if I was going to order something online, I made sure that the order had enough stuff in it so that the total would come to $29. Don't laugh at me, Joan. Joan knows why it had to come to $29. Because if it came to $29, 
I got the shipping for free. So I would go around and I would say to everybody in the house, do you need any to order anything online? Because I'm trying to get enough together to put into the box so that it will be $29. And then I get free shipping. I am a Presbyterian minister after all. Free shipping is the goal. But these days, these days, we all have preferred accounts online. And with that comes free shipping. You can order whatever you want. And it doesn't matter if it adds up to $29 or not. It's still going to be free. But if you think about that for just a minute, Think about the number of goods that are flying around the world just so that you can have your package of three flavors of lip balm tomorrow. I think it's fair to say something is broken. The news over the last couple of weeks has been all about the supply chain. We've all become experts on the supply chain. How manufacturers and merchants are struggling to get inventory. But when you stop and you really think about it, each little thing you buy, millions of people buying their three different flavors of lip balm, each little thing is transnavigating the globe so that you can have it in your mailbox tomorrow. And so the question really should be, is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that our demand to have everything and for it to be here right when we want it, that the whole world has ground to a halt? Is it any wonder? Paul wrote in that letter, in his letter to the Romans that we heard this morning, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, for the creation was subject to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, I think I'm going to have to admit, Paul had much loftier things in mind when he wrote those words. Paul had a much more existential thing in mind when he spoke of creation's eager longing for for its deliverance. He spoke about the undoing of the fall and the very salvation of the world that Christ came to offer. And yet, and yet, I think it's not too far a leap from the rampant consumerism of our culture to the fallenness of humanity. We have, to be, we have begun to look at our world as a throwaway world. Sitting in the kitchen with the WOC on Wednesday, sorry ladies, you made it into the sermon, congratulations. Sitting in the kitchen with the WOC on Wednesday, 
we spoke about the disposability of appliances. Something as big as a washing machine or a stove or a refrigerator. Manufacturers do not want to make a fridge that lasts 30 years anymore. They want to sell you a fridge that will break down in 10 years. And when it breaks down in 10 years, it's going to be impossible to repair. Why do they do that? Because that's how they sell you another fridge. It makes perfect sense. Except that now we have landfills that are filled with 10-year-old fridges and 10-year-old stoves and 10-year-old washing machines. Or fast fashion. Now, we didn't talk about that with the ladies in the kitchen. Are you familiar with fast fashion? Fast fashion may not be in your life, but it's probably in your grandchildren's life. Clothing that they buy and they will wear an average of four times. Somebody actually did a study. Four times. You will wear an art, this article of clothing and then you will throw it out. If you've ever complained about the thin cotton in the t-shirts that you're buying for your grandkids, fast fashion, disposable fashion, it's part of the reason. It doesn't need to be high quality. It doesn't need to last. They're only going to wear it four times. But it's not just the kids. It's tempting for all of us to want the best, the newest, and the most in style. It's tempting to replace all of the perfectly good items in the house just because, well, we'd like to redo the kitchen. Only then to, a couple years later, talk to the lady in the store who goes, yeah, we put in granite. I don't like it. I think I'm going to put something else in. Really? That is a problem. What was it that led Adam and Eve to the fall? Temptation. What's, what have we been talking about? The temptations. In our fallen nature, it is all too tempting to attempt to define ourselves by the things that do not matter. To define ourselves and our success by our stuff. I have better stuff than you. That makes me better. And if I'm not better, then I should go out and I should buy better stuff. From a Christian stewardship perspective, this is what lies behind the practice of tithing. Giving one-tenth of your wealth to the, to the, to the church. We do so not to meet the church budget. It's nice when we meet the church budget. Don't get me wrong. The board sleeps much better at night. But we do so because by giving generously, by giving sacrificially to God, we are reminded that everything we have comes from the Lord. Tithing is an antidote to our temptation to accumulate stuff. It means sometimes we need to stop.
COVID-19 has been really good at that one thing. It's taught us that from time to time we need to stop. And it's taught us a couple of other things too. On the one thing, it has taught us that it is sheer folly to think that we alone rule the world and that it is here for us to exploit. The SARS COVID-19 virus most likely came about because of the expansion of cities in China into forests and the destruction of the habitat of the wild creatures that lived there. We've learned that as we draw closer into proximity with other species, the easier it's going to be for us to be exposed to the diseases that were previously in them alone. That's the downside. Big down. But there's also been, surprisingly, some interesting lessons too. The pandemic has taught us the benefit of what it means to stop. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was introduced to a website that tracks every civilian aircraft in the world. It's so cool. You know what? It's really funny. There's not a lot of air traffic that goes over Cornwall. I kind of thought that, but then I found this website. Now I know it. Except for the air ambulance which you can track on the website. It tracks every single airline, air, aircraft that is in the air around the world. And in those early days of pandemic, this is why I learned about this website, it, somebody posted it online because the skies were clear of aircraft. Nobody was flying anywhere. Nobody was buying stuff in the early, early days. And so there was nothing in the skies. Look at it today. And if you look far enough out, it's hard to find the ground for the number of airplanes that are in the sky. And you're left wondering, how don't they run into each other? Because... They're everywhere. In the early days of the pandemic, when Australia was first in lockdown, there were photos of kangaroos hopping through the financial district in Melbourne. The wild animals had taken over the city and it only took two or three weeks of us not being there for them to find a home once more. Air pollution was significantly lessened in cities around the world, and especially the cities of China, some of which never have a day without smog. And so some people, young people, for the first time, were seeing blue sky. Bird songs changed during the first days of the pandemic because they didn't have to compete with us and the noise that we make, the noise of automobiles and traffic. There's this litany of things that changed during this time of pandemic. Changed because for a moment we had stopped. For a moment we were reminded that God indeed can redeem the land. In the book of Leviticus, 
as the children of God were instructing, were being instructed, the children of God, pardon me, were instructed that the land needs a time for rest. I don't have to tell Kenny that. Kenny knows the land needs a time of rest. Anybody who farms knows that there needs to be a rotation of crops and a time of a fallow so that you can plow the the uh, the nutrients back into the ground and so that you can have the crop for the next year. Sometimes we need to stop. The land needs to rest. Leviticus calls it Sabbath. Just like we need time to rest and we need Sabbath. This past couple of weeks, the world has been gathering in Glasgow, Scotland for the COP22 conference where they study, where they discuss and make decisions about climate and what they're going to do to end the change, to lessen the change of our climate so that it only changes by 1.5 degrees since the beginning of industrialization because if it goes beyond 1.5 degrees then the problems that it solves will be unsustainable. And they've talked about all kinds of things. For the first time they've mentioned the fact that maybe fossil fuels are bad. In the statement that was released just yesterday, for the first time at an environmental conference, they've said the burning of fossil fuels contributes to climate change. Boy, there's a news flash. But at least now they said it for the first time. They've been exploring different ways to generate electricity, to allow us to live our lives. All of us look at those things, right? They're on the news all the time. Wind energy, solar energy, um, battery-operated cars, electric cars. I look at them and I think, wow, really neat. You watch an electric car drive by you on the street. It's cool. And I go, well, I would like that. That's probably what we need to do next. Except, except I think we're being called to a bigger change than that. If we still think we're going to have two cars and live the same lifestyle that we've had for the last number of years, using up all of the resources that we have been using up, then I think we're missing the point. God is calling us in this moment of crisis to start making changes to the way we live. Ways that are are less selfish in their orientation and to find ways to share the goodness of of creation with all of those in the world. This year at our meetings of Synod, uh, the guest speaker and and the series of lectures that we had was looking at the... uh, the challenges of, of climate change. And as part of that whole discussion, as we were, we were discussing about it, one of our um, Presbyterian church workers who has been working in Malawi for the past several years made the point that he said, 
one of the problems that he identifies is the fact that here in North America, we want to pretend climate change does not happen. That is not real. But he said, if I told them that in Malawi, they would think I had lost my mind. Hidden in amongst all of this stuff about the supply chain over the past month or so has been the news story that the first climate-changed food crisis because of drought in Mozambique has happened. It's now starting to impinge upon human life. And so as we think about all of these things that are happening, and we're going to read lots of stories over the next several weeks, several days about what happened out of the out of the confidence, and you'll have the people, pardon me, out of the COP conference, uh, and you'll have people who will extol the wonderful things that were accomplished, and people who will go, well, it didn't go far enough, or well, it doesn't matter because some other country isn't going to do anything, so why should we? Because well, they're not. But the reality is, any change that happens is going to start with us. And that is communities of faith. We need to be in the vanguard. We need to take the leadership role to remind those in our, who lead our country that we are called not just to be about economic growth all the time, as nice as that is when our pension check comes through, but that God calls us to Sabbath, to a, time, to a moment in time when we can step back and trust that God will lead to, that God is working for the redemption of the land and that we need to play a part in that. Thanks be to God for his will and his care for us all.